podiobooks.com in association with pjvalentine.net and writersexchange.com presents Weaver's Web, written and read by Philippa Valentine. A thump on the head was hardly a new experience to Jerris, but not one it wished to relive. Twisting about, it recognised the bump and sway of a swiftly moving cart. The air was thick with the smell of hay, which was hardly surprising since it was piled all about it. Tough, hard-spun rope bound hand and foot most effectively. Jerris closed its eyes and tried to shift. Male form would be of most use for this particular situation. But there was nothing. The shape and feel of man slipped through its mental fingers, a dim memory that failed to obey its command. No point trying, a soft female voice whispered dreadfully near to his ear. That was our undoing last time, wasn't it, Cheris? We underestimated you. Misha? Jerris already knew the answer. The very same, my sweet Jerris. It felt a warm leg go over its side, and Nisha twisted herself over its form until she lay along the whole length of it, the angelic face in its. She twisted a seductive hand in its tawny hair. Though Jerris could see the angles and lines of her face, its night vision robbed her of colour. You haven't changed a bit, even in seven years, she said. Still, I couldn't believe it when one of our little informants told us that you had returned. You were so lucky to escape last time. I didn't think you'd be stupid enough to... But that's all to the good for us. Jerris turned its face away from hers, feeling ill having her so close. Rubbing her body against its, Nisha almost purred. What a pity. The potion we gave you prevents your change. It would have been good to relive old times. It's a useful herb from the outer islands. Perhaps you know it. Metaphail. It's well known there for curbing powers like yours. Never has there been any like me. Its confused, befuddled mind whirled on that one word. Metaphail, she'd said. The mother's curse. You might be surprised, sweetling, what the outer islands throws up. Though I'll admit, nothing as spectacular as you. Nisha smoothed back its tangled hair. You know, Jerris, you should have been more grateful. After all, it was us that found you washed up in the beach. And pulled you from that pod thing. We took you in, taught you language, even gave you a name. Only with an eye on a prophet. It felt her shrug, eloquent, even among the hay. It's true, I guess. We even had a buyer marked out. But we looked after you and no other would. You ate up our care and then just ran off when the money was about to come in. I loved you, Jerris whispered. That was why I stayed. I never thought that you would actually sell you. Nisha pulled it tight against her so that it could feel every corner of her lithe body. Her sharp, clawed fingers were on its abused wrists. Oh, my sweetling, even for a real man, I could never ignore all that gold. Seven years is a little long to wait, but better than nothing, I suppose. You should be flattered by our attentions. We dropped everything once we'd heard you were back. Jerris was silent, holding on to its pain, not satisfying her by sharing it. The cart rocked and swayed, and there was a definite change in the sound of the ground beneath. Cobbled stones and a hint of light filtered through the cracks in the wagon walls. Jerris twisted against Nisha. It could feel the edge of the restraint on its powers, 
At the one time, it had been drank. Trying to control its expression, it hoped that Nisha wasn't sure of the dosage she'd administered. Outside, voices could be heard barking orders. She sighed against Jerris, leaning her curved cheek in against its angled one. Oh, Jerris, the fun's over before we've had a chance to rekindle it. We've had a better offer for you since you left. I'm sorry, but the Duke has ordered the gathering of all creatures like you. She brightened a little. At least he pays better. It tried to keep her talking, tried to stall the inevitable. I'm very pleased for you. So you should be. She was fishing in her purse. She held what she removed, clenched in one fist behind her back. Then, wrapping the other hand around Jerris's neck, pulling it in, she kissed it long and hard. It bit her lip in return. Flinching away, Nisha wiped away the blood. <laughs> it wasn't very nice. I hope they do hurt you now. With that, she shoved the vial she had on the other hand into its mouth. Jerris arched back, but its strength was gone, and she easily held its head still. The liquid was bitter indeed. The inside of the cart twisted and tumbled. Jerris felt as flimsy as smoke. At least it could close its eyes on ever seeing Nisha again. I swear, Ash, I don't know what you're talking about. Reaper's bloodshot brown eyes flickered to her companions, as if expecting them to pounce on him. Only my friends get to call me that, as she may hissed, leaning in on the gangly youth. He smelled as bad as he always had. But then, if you lie down with the rubbish, sooner or later you start to smell like it. Reaper was nothing like his name implied, but there was no one better for finding out the real story of what was going on in Skelligtown. And I haven't been gone for that long, and become stupid with it. Slavers are operating from the wharves, and I just need to know where exactly. It had been two long days since Jerris's disappearance, and Reaper was their last hope. One whole day had been wasted fruitlessly searching through alleyways and disreputable pubs for him. Previously, he had never been this hard to find. Someone had obviously frightened him. <laughs> They've gotten serious since you've been gone. Reaper seemed to locate some spine very quickly, surprising in itself. He expanded in his rags, full of sudden bluster. So have we, Merrick muttered from the corner of the alley where he was keeping an eye out, none too pleased at the youngster's attitude. Come on, Reaper, Gustin, unsubtle as ever, clinked the gold coins in his purse. You know, we've always seen you right. This is getting nowhere. Rosso slumped in the corner, hair falling over his face. If we don't get to go to the hungry beaver, Ash, then at least can we knock some heads? Reaper was offended. I thought you got rid of these guys. Ashimay suddenly realised that nothing was going to get done while her friends were about. She recalled that a few words had been exchanged between them and Reaper before. Of course, in those days he'd been known as Alley Rabbit, and he probably didn't like to be reminded. She gestured at Crinus, the least annoyed, and he shepherded the others further down the alleyway. Rosso glared hotly over his shoulder. Look, Ashimay slipped a few coins into the boy's hand. They happen to have a friend of mine, without whom I wouldn't be here to annoy you with right now. And if you know how important my friends are to me, then you understand. Now, I could get the Duke involved, but he would probably turn the wolves right over, and you might get upset at what he might find. Reaper gave her a strange look. What? she asked. Promise not to get angry, the youth peered about in his usual paranoid self. I promise. 
slavers are working for someone. Now, I don't know for sure, but it's rumoured that it's the Duke himself. Trying to keep her voice level, she asked. What are they doing? Taking people away, Ash. Reaper was genuinely scared and starting to babble now that he'd begun. People that they wouldn't normally touch, like blind Lysra. You remember her? The one down by the docks? Told your fortune for a slip of silver. That's her. She was good, too. Had the real sight. She was the first to go. There were plenty of others, all of them with a touch of magic. Even a couple of makers hiding out in the village weren't immune. And suddenly we had a lot of happy slaver types around. Them sort that was none too keen on daylight before, now swaggering down the street. It's all gone turnaround here, Ash. A lot of others are leaving, going back to their clans. I'm thinking about it myself. How long has this been happening? Just before the Duke announced your death. No more than a day or two. And where do they take them? Reaper pointed. In the dark, she could see nothing. But in Skelligtown, there was only one thing in that direction. Slipping another small purse into the youth's hand, Ashime patted him on the back and blindly turned back down the alleyway. He trailed after her a little. Oh, what do you think I should do, Ash? This question was heard dimly, its significance not really hitting her. I'd go home, she murmured to him. I'd hug myself up and go home as quick as I could, Rabbit. And what about you? That's what I'm doing. The others were waiting at the end of the alleyway for her. Their faces were anxious and pale in the dim light. So what's the plan? Corinus said, adjusting his sword about his waist. She shrugged morosely. Jerris is in Skellig, then. Gustin was watching her closely, as closely as the others were. Look. As she may squared off against them. Quite seriously, I don't know what's going on here. It looks like something unusual's been happening here while I was dead. I'm going to go and sort it out with Garen. She pushed away her fears for the moment as best she could. As usual, sensitive self, Rosa couldn't resist. <laughs> Just what we're good at, breaking into a heavily fortified castle with only the five of us. Hardly seems fair, though. Gaston grinned at him and gave a friendly shove. For them. I don't know if that's a good way for me to make an entrance somehow. Any other ideas? I might have a few. Lou stepped away from the shadows, as unexpected as a lightning bolt. Sweet mother! As she may have half drawn her sword without even thinking. Did you have to do that, father? Gustin gasped his tress. We're not as young as we used to be. Crinus had almost fallen off the barrel he was sitting on, and Merrick's hand was suddenly full of knives. Lou shook his head, his grey whiskers fluttering. Sorry about that. But I've no time to play games. A little warning next time would be nice. Eshime embraced him roughly, feeling her eyes prick with tears. The godling hugged her in return. Back from the dead, I see. You'll have to show me that little trick, child. A welcome to you as well, brave warriors. The others bowed their heads. The elder man pulled his purple robes closer about him, seemingly entirely out of his element. I take it you're going to go home under a small cloud. A friend is inside. Lou exchanged glances with the men. Then, uh, maybe I can suggest you pay particular attention to the Duke's other dungeon. Other dungeon? Rosa frowned. <laughs> There's only one. The others looked puzzled as well. They'd thought they knew every inch of Skellig. Eshime felt a wince inside her. I suppose there is the old Furlion dungeon. 
but it's bricked up. Was bricked up. Lou's eyes were hard on her, and she could feel their weight. It was hard to think straight while the implications were dropping on her from a great height. Sweet mother, she found herself praying. Please, let it be anything else but this. Please. But her head was counting the damage already. Outwardly, she held on to her calm, but she wasn't sure for how long. Quite frankly, she was getting angry, and she never thought it her best when she was angry. Skellig was home, and she was not going to sneak up on it like a thief. The front door was looking better and better. After all, what did she have to fear from her own people? She snatched up some alley debris and began constructing a large torch. I have an idea, she told the others. You're probably not going to like it. They all remained diplomatically quiet, but Roso rolled his eyes when he thought she wasn't looking. Jerris slammed awake. It was on its feet and moving before it realised that iron-cold shackles bound it hand and foot. No point doing that. An old, harsh voice rasped with what might have been a chuckle. If it was that easy, we'd all be gone by now. Jerris slumped back against the dripping stone wall. This was a new form of confinement, in a quite large, dank chamber. The floor, though covered in straw, stank of sweat and other human fluids. Strange torches flickered and burned at the corners of the room, and it was not alone here. Maybe a dozen or so other individuals were being treated in a similar fashion. Their eyes were hollow, and they clutched their rags about them in defence against this place. They were young and old, men and women. Seemingly there was nothing in common between them, and yet something twitched at the edge of Jerris's understanding. Looking for answers, it turned its attention to the speaker. An old, moth-eaten woman curled at the base of the wall. She peered fitfully out from beneath her straggly grey hair, meeting its look with a defiance that had obviously served her well until now. The look was pale and ghostly. She was blind. Well, she said, pulling her rags about her, you're different, but different isn't so good down here. Jerris gave the chains it bound it one more tug. This was not what it had expected. It thought it had guessed the purpose that Nisha's client would have for it, and this wasn't it. Where are we? The unluckiest hole this side of the deep. Skellig's dungeon. The Duke's dungeon. She didn't move, even when one of their companions moaned. The name's Lystra. Jerris. She sniffed, pulling one of her arms further into the remains of her sleeve. You've got the blood. If nothing else is clear, that is. Lystra turned her blind eyes on it. Jerris reached out and touched its hands to the side of her head, but it received no impression, not even a whisper of understanding. It could feel neither her pain nor her thoughts. Suddenly, it knew what it was to be wrapped in perpetual darkness. The old woman stifled a sob, wrapping her body around her arm. They took it away from us, from all of us. Something in the water. I hate not having my sight. Several other people in the chamber began to sob, as if her words reminded them of their own pain. Jerris strained its eyes, but the night vision too was gone. Why did none of the others speak? Let me see your arm, it whispered to Lysera. She shook her head, trying to draw it as far away from it as possible. I have to know. Her blind eyes found its. Reaching out, Jerris tugged back the material from her limb. 
It had never seen anything like it before. The flesh was red and taunt, but not with poison or affection. There was a structure to it. Long, hard lines ran up each side of the wrist, and what remained of the fingers was moulded into pincer-like shape. The skin was smooth and yet rock-hard under its touch. What's happening here? Jerris whispered, turning her limb over in its gentle hands. Lucera's blind eyes roved around the room. You mean, you don't know? We have the blood. The purest blood is here. That's what they want. Why don't you leave her alone? There was a young man, three people over, the only other one who seemed capable of talking. Jerris could see him only dimly, but it could make out the bruised lines of his face. His accent was certainly unusual. Tell me. Jerris felt suddenly very cold and very alone. None of the abilities it had always relied on were working. Tell me what's going on. The weavers are coming. Jerris felt sick. Inside its head, blackness roared behind the eyes. It howled like a beast of agony. Its body heaved and rushed about it as now light burst against it. It knew itself in that instant as it had never wanted to. Blood will answer to blood. The waning boundaries of the Matathale caved in under the power of its understanding. When the fit had passed, Jerris was left gasping and curling on the floor. You know. The young man rolled his eyes and leaned back against the stone. <laughs> you know what they are, he said wearily. Oh, yes, Jerris knew. Its powers returned, and it knew. The minds of those around it were wide open. The man was Connor. It knew his pain, his reason for being here. It even knew his childhood misdeeds. Nothing remained that was not exposed to its senses. It was so entranced it said nothing, running its mental hands over the breadth of its knowledge. Those here were half-breeds, less than that, leftovers, that only a taste of the blood within them, a drop left behind here from the last time they were here. The weavers. Its own flesh. Its own kin. You are more, though. A woman lingered in the corner. She'd been there all along. A tremulous whisper of a creature that hummed with the life of a weaver. She was as purely that as Jerris was. The power sparked in her, too. Giselle. She reached out for it. Her blood was setting off a chain reaction within Jerris. Too much! Too much! It writhed on the floor, losing control of its form. Male, female, blurred and changed. The threads of body were stretched thin in such madness as the weaver blood rose to understanding. Connor watched the battle from the detached point he had reached by now. Perhaps this would divert Giselle for a while, long enough to give him some peace. He now knew more about the weavers than he'd ever wished to know. He had none of their blood in him, unlike these others, and her attempts to secure the same results in him had met with agonising failure. It had gotten to the stage where he almost wished she'd succeed, just to get it over with. He wasn't sure what this latest arrival would mean, but at this particular point, he'd almost ceased to care. As she may stood at the portcullis, craning her head upward. She had just placed a large, flaring torch nearby so there could be no mistake of just who she was. Lou and her companions stood back uncertainly, watching carefully to see how this gamble of hers would play out. They had argued long and hard with her for a stealthy approach to Skellig, 
Apparently, there was no convincing her. And aside from bundling her into a net and sitting on her, no other way to deal with it. She stood tall before the gates and demanded entrance in a loud voice. Bemused faces peered at her from over the walls, obviously not sure how to proceed with this unexpected turn of events. Someone's quiet night on watch had just evaporated. I said, as she may bellowed, if you don't let me in, you better come down here and defend the castle. I am Ashime Kandra. Come home, tired, grumpy, and not too happy with everyone thinking I'm dead. So let me in now. The heads withdrew, and they could hear whispered conversations taking place. I don't think this is such a good idea, Krenis ventured, shifting uneasily from one foot to the other. Ashime's green-eyed glare silenced him immediately. A single head reappeared. You're dead! The voice floated down to them. And besides, we can't open the gate after dark without the Duke's express permission. Then go and get him! Ashime strode closer, feeling her simmering anger roar under his skin. I'm sure he'll be glad to hear I'm alive. I'd not be so certain of that, Lou whispered theatrically to the other men. We can't find him, the guard replied his voice displaying his stress. He's been gone for days, supposedly some sort of trip. At this time of year? She muttered to herself. Launching herself at the door, Eshime pounded on the thick wood until it boomed like a drum. I demand entrance! Who's authority? <laughs> the gaff laughed nervously. We can't open the gate without the proper authority. If your duke's gone, you dolt, then I carry his only heir within me. Eshima yelled back. Are you going to let the mother of your lord stand out in the night air? Now that caused a commotion. Ash? Her friends clustered around her, faces pale, eyes wide. You're pregnant? Rosa said, running his eye over her. Of course not, she snapped back. But they don't know that. And with Garen gone, it gives us some authority. By the time they find him, they'll have forgotten all about it. I don't know, Ash, Grinness said, shaking his head. They won't be too pleased if they find out. Quiet, she growled as the portcullis was being raised. We have to find Jerris, and it's only a little lie. They stepped boldly into the tower gate. Guston sighed. Now I remember why our time with Ashime was always so busy. She strode along the corridor like rage incarnate. The Duke's guard stepped aside until she reached the iron-bound door of Geron's private dungeon. Here the men lowered their pikes and glared out from under their helms. None may pass but the Duke, the taller one barked. Ashima had never met either of them before, but her head was hot and her eyes gleamed with barely held back anger. The last time she'd walked these dim corridors, there had been nothing but a blank brick wall to this entrance. Now, from even outside, she could smell the death and sweat. Oh, well. She shrugged fluidly, glancing back over her shoulder at her friends. When the guard's glaze flickered back, she stepped in under the half-rise pike and delivered a head-ringing uppercut to his chin. He staggered back in shock, and she used that moment to twist him from his feet until he found himself splayed on the ground with Ashime's knee pushed against his throat. The pike rattled from side to side on the floor where it had dropped. His companion made to aid him, but thought better of the idea when he heard a chorus of ringing steel from Ashime's four friends. The flawed guard struggled to retain his dignity, but found it hard to do while his breathing was so restricted. Now... His captor hissed. If you can't learn some manners, and then perhaps you should pursue a different career path. She reached down slowly and snagged the keys from his waist. 
and then he was forgotten. Leaving Crinus and Gustin to deal with the guards, she wrenched open the door and turned to Lou. You better show us the worst, father. She gestured him in. They followed the godling down the slippery steps, inhaling all the time the odour of fear and despair. Ashime drew her sword and gestured menacingly with its tip when black-hooded torturers started in their direction. But honest confrontation was not their stock and trade, and they melted back into the tunnels among the smoke and moans of their victims. Lou whirled about in a confused purple circle. must have moved him, he whispered to himself. He paused, reorientating. The divine urgings in his skull led him to the furthermost cell. Is this it, then? Ashime asked. At his nod, she took a deep breath and located the key. Removing a torch from the wall, she entered first. Pale faces flinched away from the sudden light. Their appearance was a physical blow to her. A dozen faces that had been drained of all hope and whose bodies were mutilated in horrible ways. Who could have done all of this? Surely not Garen. She recognised blind Lysera, though the thing she'd become was not familiar. Only one of the prisoners was able to meet her gaze, a fine face, though scarred by bruises. She knew that the bright band of tattoos was Sitkin in origin. The younger man's face was drawn and deeply suspicious, but it lightened when he saw Lou standing at her shoulder. Garen had obviously been keeping more from her than she could have ever guessed. Then Ashime saw Jerris, and it all faded into insignificance. She heard the others pile into the room, and sensed Lou going to the younger man, who was now tugging vainly at his shackles. Ashime relinquished her hold on the keys to Crinus, who without pause began to unshackle the unfortunates about them. Take, take them to the healing chamber, she heard herself command, while her eyes never left the drama of Jerris. Its form was covered in a transparent green mist, the like of which she had never seen before. It twisted about her friend, sometimes seemingly inhaled by it. But Jerris's shape was fluctuating from male to female so fast that it hurt to watch from any length of time. It roared from deep in its chest like a wounded lion, making the whole dungeon shake with its pain. The others winced, and Ashime, her heart thundering in her head, made to touch him. Lou was at her side, the young man with him. Ugh, oh, I have never seen the lake, daughter. But I don't think it would be a good choice to go near that mist. It's fighting for its life. The young man's voice was full of strange accents. I can't stop something terrible. I doubt anyone can help it now. We must try, Ashime clasped Lou's hand. Its name is Jerris, and it saved my life. We've got to do something. Please, father. The godling looked perplexed. This is not my area, daughter. If there was a mother here... Or if I knew more about it, I... Ashime. Merrick clasped her shoulder. You are from the outer islands, like me. Perhaps there is something we can do. We can't let Jerris down, she agreed. Do you think we can help? No thinking is required. The dark-haired warrior gestured the others away. Only to trust. Lou gave way to them, but watched concerned. Merrick whispered so softly that only Ashima could hear. This is what we do in the islands. Remember, Ash, when the blood rises? Do you remember? She hated to think of the islands. The smoke about the hearth, the odd rituals. All memories of her childhood were too painful, but she nodded. She couldn't forget. Drawing a small dagger from his belt, Merrick ran the edge across his thumb, and then did the same when she gave him hers. Blood knows blood, Merrick murmured. 
Mind controls blood and flesh if the soul is strong. Grasping her cut hand with his, he drew her down towards the heaving form of Jerris. The pale shroud of green twisted as they drew nearer, and for a flickering moment there seemed to be a visible face. Ashima could feel the malevolence. No more thought. Their blood touched through the chill mist, reaching Jerris. See our strength go to our friend. Merrick's voice hummed in her head. We have much, and it is hurt. Give it our strength. Do you see it, Ash? She nodded, for she actually could. She imagined it as a line of bright blue fire, coursing from both of them into Jerris. It was a stream of life and power that strengthened it against the swirl of green that kept it captive. Yet there was also pressure, as if she could feel the creature fighting back against what they were doing. It was strong, but they were stronger. They could almost feel the snap. Ashime's eyes burned hot in her head, and the creature appeared to unfurl from Jerris. A brief image of an angry woman howling in rage, and then it was gone, like a leaf on the breeze. Jerris's face, its between face, when she looked down at it, was shadowed and worried, but thankfully all its own. Merrick and she helped it up. Embracing it, she almost experienced that same frisson of contact. Blood did indeed know blood. But what that truly meant, she had a feeling she was only beginning to find out. I hope you've enjoyed this chapter of Weaver's Web. If you want to get your hands on an e or print edition of this novel, you can do so through my website, which is pjvallantine.net. On this podcast, you've heard Ghost Song by Hands Upon Black Earth, which is available through magnatune.com. All other music in this podcast supplied by T. Morris. Find out more about T at tmorris.com. Thanks for listening.